are listening to the Elephant in the Room podcast with your host, Sutta Singh. Each week, we will bring you a diverse range of inspiring speakers on issues of inequality and inequity. You will hear stories about fairness, justice, belonging, and about best practice for creating a more inclusive workplace. So, if you are an individual or leader interested in a fairer, equitable, compassionate society and workplace, this podcast is for you. My guest on the Elephant in the Room podcast this week is Diane Grayson, founder of the Ethnicity Pay Gap campaign and co-author of The Impact of the Ethnicity Pay Gap on Black Women in the UK Research Report. Thank you, Diane, for being a guest on the Elephant in the Room podcast today. Oh, it's a pleasure. Thank you for having me. To start with, just tell us a bit about your background and your journey. Okay, sure. I've been in HR for about 16 years. I run two organisations. One is Equilibrium Mediation Consulting. In that space, I do generalist HR. I'm also a qualified mediator and also an accredited emotional intelligence practitioner, which is something that I've recently attained, which is quite good. Trinidad Solutions is also the company I run, and I run that with my colleague Jacqueline Hines. And that's predominantly focused on diversity inclusion. And we design and develop our own products. And everything is all bespoke to the organisation. So obviously with all the challenges and situations that organisations and individuals are having at the minute, doing DNI work is so important to us because we want organisations to make a, a positive transition rather than just paper over the cracks. So that's really our stance. You also know that I'm the founder of the Ethnicity Pay Gap campaign, which has been going since 2018. That was born initially out of my own personal frustration of, yet again, knowing that we are in a situation where we are struggling to get fairness. And through my initial anxiety and frustration about it, I started the campaign, which is still going today. Congratulations. It's a fantastic initiative. For a lot of us, it helps to focus the mind towards a specific problem which we need to really challenge. And in the past couple of days, the government has very quietly sort of shelved this conversation around ethnicity pay gap. And next question was going to be in 2022, why are we still talking about the ethnicity pay gap? And was it short-sighted of policymakers to introduce gender pay gap reporting and not broadening it to include ethnicity. What, what is your take on this? Would love to hear your thoughts. Total craziness. So we could just quickly touch on the gender pay gap. And I understand only 24% of organisations now have reported their gender pay gap. In terms of why organisations haven't even thought about the gender pay gap, is because, in my opinion, they don't see it as important as the gender pay gap where it should be on exactly the same footing. It's not even a poor relation. It's even worse than that. And I think that because the government have not picked up the urgency of doing this, organisations don't think it's important to do it. And with the ethnicity pay gap, organisations have been reporting, and it's now 50% less than it was in the past. And yesterday, as you alluded to, the government have said, oh, actually, we're not going to do this straight away. We will do it, but we're not going to do it straight away. For those organisations that want to do it, we're going to help you. And the reason why we're doing it is because we feel that because we've gone through COVID, we don't want to put any pressure on you, which is absolutely ridiculous. 
And I can't really say or demonstrate my frustration with this right now because yeah. it's just so much. I feel just so annoyed with the government for saying yeah. that. Because all they've done is that they've made organisations say, oh, well, the government has said there's no rush, so no rush. As I said in the beginning, I've been campaigning for four years. And I'm just going to give you another statistic. There was a research that came out recently that said that black, Asian and other ethnic minorities won't get paid parity until 2057. So I'll probably be dead by then. I, I don't accept that. So I'm calling on people to really take action here, but we'll talk about that further down the line. Absolutely. It's staggering to see how myopic that view is where they introduced sort of half-heartedly the gender pay gap instead of thinking of taking an intersectional lens and not thinking of dealing with one huge societal problem after other, you know, not saying that this is a bigger problem than this problem, but they yeah. should have been dealing it all together. I don't think, the, as I said, there's no interest in dealing with things that don't relate only to white people, I'm afraid to say. Yeah. You know, they can quickly react to those things. But if it's to do with talking about race, they suddenly get into a tailspin. Because their thought process has always been that way, they can't stop themselves. So they immediately just carry on like they used to, whereas they've got to stop and go, okay, we are in a different environment. Things have grown and developed. People need to grow and develop. So therefore, we need to think about what are the consequences? What is the, as you said, intersectional situation that is causing all these gaps? And let's look at it like that. But they won't do it. And that's why we're here today still fighting for it. So I'm aware that the CBI, TUC and Equality and Human Rights Commission have made a joint call for the introduction of mandatory ethnicity pay gap reporting. So for those who are still not convinced, because there's clearly a huge swathe of people who are not on board, what are the benefits of mandatory ethnicity pay gap reporting to individuals as well as society? Well, for individuals, I was thinking about that. I was thinking it's not about it being a benefit. It's about doing what you're supposed to. So if organisations did what they were supposed to do, the individuals who are affected will be in a better place, which will mean that they will have better spending power, which will mean they will contribute to the economics of this country. So for them not making the effort to close the gap, not even narrow, to close it completely, it is causing individuals who look like me and you, complete stress and anxiety and the lack of ability to progress. So they might be just renting a flat, buying a place, getting basic things because they're not getting the money that they deserve. And if they carry on in this way, the negativity of all of this, it will have an effect on the community because if you suddenly find out that you're getting paid less than your white counterpart, you're not going to be happy about that. And that unhappiness will spill into your home and go into your community because that's the way life goes. And I think we need to recognise there has to be some solid action to make sure that everybody's paid fairly, everybody is able to contribute, everybody's able to go up the ladder without any hindrance. 
That's very well articulated, Diane, because what you said is right. People have been making a business case and it is just about fairness. It is just the way everyone needs to be treated fairly, to be given the opportunity that they deserve to be paid on par and commensurate with their experience and their abilities rather than being judged on the color of their skin. Absolutely. And I've always said that, you know, this is a human right. Yeah. The human right to be treated fairly. And when people recognize that, they should be moving forward to take action quickly. Yeah, agreed. So the Commission on Race and Ethnic Disparities backed away from mandatory reporting last year. What are your thoughts on this? Disgraceful, embarrassing, frustrated, all the above, quite frankly. I just think they should really talk to people like myself and others who could really have informed the result of this. But that just shows you what their intention was. Their intention was to do nothing. That's what that told me. I'm not going to do anything. And when I do do it, I'll do it in my own time. Not because it's the right thing to do, because it's in my own time and you've made me do it. So, you know, that frustration is at a high volume. It looks like they didn't have any intention to do anything. It is exactly like that. And the fact that they came out yesterday and said what they said, it yeah. shows that it was their intention. So they set the groundwork last year, and now they followed it up yesterday by saying, oh, well, we'll do it, but not right now because we don't think we need to do it because you know, we want to look after our poor organisations. They're suffering, clearly, and we don't want to put any more burden. What about the burden of the people? the burden of the lack of having enough money to survive. They try to separate the money against the people. But you've got to recognise people are suffering or having hardships because they're not being paid fairly. You cannot separate the two, but they try to separate the motion because they seem to think, well, people just think about the money and money is one of those things that doesn't necessarily work overly about. But when you start bringing in the people and the emotions of people and the fact that those who suffer this um, unfairness are also the people who are suffering during COVID, frontline workers. All the evidence is out there that Black, Asian and other ethnic minorities are dying quicker. And it all correlates. And they've been disproportionately impacted in the workplaces also. We know of that. So how important is the aggregation of data and reporting for success? There are some companies that without these laws are already on that journey where they're trying to report. So it is possible to do it. But data is cited as one of the biggest challenges to getting there. It's another excuse. I mean, they've got the gender pay gap done, right? (laughs) I'm sure during the period of time when that was happening, there wasn't as much technology out there to help to support. Now there is a lot more technology. Yes, data is important, but it's also what you do with the data. So you can collate all this data, but it's not a matter of showing the data and telling everybody what it shows. If you don't have the action behind it and make sure that you do something about it, it's almost a waste of time. And If you don't have the resource in your organisation, you can look at getting external resources to help to support you. I know of organisations that do that, and it's not difficult to find. So those types of excuses I won't accept because it's not good enough. You're putting a barrier to the success of moving forward and getting people in the right places. So the data is also about when they are collecting data, it is about 
privacy and GDPR laws and how the organizations are going to utilize the data of people from different communities? Yes, but we're not France. I think in France, you can't do that. This is the UK. I always say to people, as a black woman working in an organization, if I worked in an organization, if somebody in HR said to me, oh, Diana, I notice that you haven't filled in the form to tell me what your origin is. The reason why we need it is because we are going to be reporting on our ethnicity pay gap. And we yeah. want to make sure as an organization that we are paying everybody fairly. That is the reason why we need to get your data. Would that be okay? My answer is not going to be no, because yeah. if there is a chance, even if it's a small chance, that they can recognise I'm actually being paid less than my white counterpart, then I want to know about it. Absolutely. And, you know what I mean? So that doesn't wash with me. It doesn't wash at all. It's a weak argument. And, you know, I encourage organisations to make sure that they speak to the people it affects. Because only then are you going to get proper results. If you're just going to be an organisation that is going to do everything from a high level and then you're going to tell everybody after, that is not beneficial. Get the people involved so they know what's going on and how they can help to move things forward. Yeah. If they're not going to take that type of stance, they're going to struggle. Are there any examples of people who are doing it well, Diane? Yeah, I suppose you can cite maybe PwC as one. And I say that, but yet I'm not saying with a 100% guarantee that they're doing it perfectly, if you know what I mean, because I don't think that really exists. But from what I've seen, they've demonstrated to me that they understand a bit more than others in terms of how it should be done and why it should be done. I'm not using them as a beacon to say that everyone else rushes them, but as one that I know of. So a survey from last year shows that almost 70% of the 100 large UK businesses surveyed now collect ethnicity data, up from 53% in 2018. And 23% of the respondents are also calculating their ethnicity pay gap, which is up by 18%. Is this sufficient to motivate other companies to act? Or is legislation necessary to get them to move? Okay, so... Initially, when we first spoke, I said to you that the reporting is now 50% down. So in terms of what um, you mentioned there, clearly it needs to be mandatory because there isn't the impetus, there isn't a reason for organisations to do it really. And again, as I said before, the government has now said it's okay, don't worry, if you are struggling, we'll help you which means they can take as long as they like. So there's no time scales for action to do this. They're just saying, oh, well, if you want to do it, we can help you do it. And that shows me that mandatory is the way that it has to be. Because like gender, before gender became mandatory, the percentage of them doing it was very limited. So it's so-called evidence that tells you mandatory is the way to go. So there is no excuse. And not only making it mandatory, but also there should be some guidance around what is expected, i.e. organisations should demonstrate that they've, one, done the mandatory reporting, but two, they have developed some sort of plan of action to close that gap. Because, as I said previously, just reporting the data is not enough. 
that's like just ticking a box doing the minimum exactly. to comply i agree with you diane because 20 years ago in 2001 to 2004 five years working with the commonwealth business council and we were doing a lot of work around gender diversity and getting women on boards and we're still talking about getting women on boards and nothing exactly. has actually moved so we definitely need regulation to make that shift and then it'll probably gather momentum through i don't know naming and shaming people for doing things or not doing things i guess at some stage yeah. has to come to that yeah exactly so this question is framed like how most organizations talk about the ethnicity pay gap so in grappling yeah. with the administrative burden of the gender pay gap reporting and they've been dragged to that because of legislation so are there people who are sort of actively opposed to this ethnicity pay gap reporting and who are these people and why are they opposed to it from my mind and from what i know from the industry etc i don't think it should be such a big deal but it is like somebody doesn't want to give an inch yeah i couldn't tell you who but i know they exist and it's what i i had said previously when race is involved everybody goes into a tailspin and they immediately revert back to negative thoughts and processes like no i don't want to do this well i suppose we could just say well the gender pay is there yeah. pay gap is being dealt with so there shouldn't be any excuse for the ethnicity pay gap and it's almost as if they feel that well you know we've got the gender pay gap and that should yeah. be it yeah. but we've done some research and the black women that part in it said that the 52% have suffered ethnicity pay gap so there's suffering the ethnicity pay gap and also suffering from the gender pay gap and, yeah, yeah that's why that intersectional lens is so important um, exactly um, so dan we haven't spoken much about the advocacy campaign that you've been running and what you have achieved <coughs> so far with it would you like to tell us a bit about it sure so as i said the ethnicity pay gap campaign has been going for about 4 years now and we have been encouraging people to talk about the situation and also to encourage the government to make it mandatory companies to make sure that they do their ethnicity pay gap reporting as well but as soon as last year yes last year the 8th of january i created the ethnicity pay gap day yes which was again to raise awareness to get people talking and to get people engaged so they'll have a specific day to to get involved and do something that is going to help the ethnicity pay gap situation that has been going quite well um i obviously did the ethnicity pay gap again this year and we launched us the research document which was the impact on black women regarding the ethnicity pay gap which can be found on our website www.ethnicitypaygapcampaign.com we have lots of supporters who have bought the t-shirt which for me it was about visibility so i sort of drew reference from the me too movement so that's what i was thinking about at the time and i thought we just needed a visual representation of solidarity so i designed the t-shirts that people could purchase and wear take a photo and share it on social media because i think it's a great way of showing solidarity and people will start realizing that it's not just me speaking behind me there are people supporting and that's been a great thing and we're pushing forward i've just 
now working with an organisation called Share Action. And I'm an advisory committee member. And basically, they're going to be petitioning the financial sector to start reporting the SNC pay gap. And that's really kick-starting. Yesterday, I posted out some information for people who want to be advocates to go out and go to some of these board meetings physically or online and ask questions about SNC pay gap and why they're not reporting it or what they're doing to report it. I think that's a great campaign that people should be getting involved with to help to raise the profile. And because of all that has happened in the last few days regarding this area, we need to step up the gear in terms of activism because they're clearly not listening. So we need to clearly move forward and move up a a notch to make sure we can get them to listen and get them to recognise we are here on the long haul and we are going to make them make change. Absolutely. That sounds so exciting. There's so many things that you're doing and especially around this activism around the AGMs, etc. I think that's a great way to raise the profile of this issue because we've seen you've been advocating for this for some time now, a couple of years, and it has just strengthened the government position on not moving. They are not budging from there. They're finding some excuses. So we definitely need to make sure that we're able to support you. And I need to definitely get the t-shirt and take a picture uh, and share with my networks. So we come to the last question. What would be your advice to those who want to embark on this journey for the PR industry? I'm also a founding member of the Race and Ethnicity Equity Board at the PRCA. And it's led by our chair, Barbara Phillips, and she put the ethnicity pay gap at the top of our agenda. So they've created a handbook, a bit of guidance Mm -hmm. on what the industry can do in order to shift on this conversation. Mm -hmm. So we're very interested to know what your advice would be to those who are still on the fence and thinking about it, but are intimidated probably because of the noise around the conversation. So what are the few simple things that they can do to just get on this journey they could invite me over to have a conversation with them (laughs) to talk to them about the importance of it I do go into organizations and I generally do presentations in terms of explaining to them what it is what the impact is what organizations are doing you know what you could do as an organization and I think every conversation needs to be bespoke to that client so you know you have to look at the environment that you're in what other people are doing, if they're doing anything. And even if they're not doing anything, you need to be the leader. Someone has to take that first step. There's a lot of information on the FST pay gap site. So have a look at that. As I said previously, if you're worried about the data angle, speak to external organisations who have got experience in that to help to support you. Have conversations with your staff networks, I always say. Suggest your BAME staff networks. I don't like that term, but your Black and Asian and and any other networks you might have in that arena. Get a conversation going. You know, the clear thing is communication. If you don't communicate and make an effort to find out more information, you just won't know what's going on. So it's important that you... Get involved in conversation, but make sure that you understand what you're getting into before you take the process forward. Brilliant. That's some great advice and some simple things that organizations can do to get on this journey. Thank you so much, Diane, for sharing your thoughts and your experience with us and the listeners. Really grateful to you for making time for this conversation. 
It's an absolute pleasure. Very important subject to be speaking about. Thank you for joining us this week on the Elephant in the Room podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to the show on any of your favorite platforms, iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts. And if you enjoyed listening to the podcast today, don't forget to write a review and tell your friends. Sign up on the link in the show notes to receive updates on our guest speakers, blogs, and events. And don't forget to tune in every Thursday for new episodes.